I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. Well, I've done it. I, I forgot about the beautiful Christmas wreath and candle that are taking, taking up my pulpits. Uh, space here. So hopefully I don't light my sermon on fire. That's really the, if that happens, I guess we know what the Lord is trying to say. (laughs) Oh man, that'd be wild, huh? So this morning, you know, I, I, um, I have a really, um, specific just word on my heart. Um, for us this morning, and I was um, I wasn't going to preach this week. Um, I had a friend coming to preach this week, and um, he called me on Tuesday, and he was sick. And I was like, you know what, man? I think I was supposed to preach anyways. And so, um, yeah, it's good to be with you. We've been been trying to go through this series on worship. Um, which I feel like has gotten a little bit interrupted, if you know what I'm trying to say here, because uh, we had to be at the, the Pine Street location a couple weeks ago. And then last week, you know, I tried my best, but of course, a video sermon, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the coolest thing about the video sermon, you guys got to know, the guy who produces our videos, um, his name is Kendall. Um, he's, he's just really great um, because he really feels just like a, it's like ministry to him. And I preached that sermon on Friday um, in front of him, which is always kind of a weird thing, like preaching to a camera, you know? Um, anyways, uh, it was too long. It was, it was too long. And I was like, Kendall, you got to shorten that, man. And anyways, it was really nice. I was like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, he shortened my sermon by like 13 minutes. And I couldn't even tell which parts he had cut out, which tells you something about it. Anyways, so... <laughs> So thank God for Kindle and his ability to, to shorten it. Um, but I was thinking, yeah, 50 minutes is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to look at a screen for 50 minutes. I was having flashbacks of Zoom classes and online meetings. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I, I was kind of like disappointed to not be here with you last week because, um, yeah, I was, just, I was really excited to talk about what the Bible has to say about how we engage in acts of worship, specifically together as a body, like in a church setting, you know? And um, so I'm kind of bummed that I missed that, but hopefully, you know, I don't know. A couple of you said it was really, it was helpful anyways. That's on YouTube. If you missed it, honestly, um, I, would, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to it because I think that this idea of how we respond to God in worship is a really central thing when it comes to us laying a foundation for the kind of church that we're going to be, you know? And so, um, you know, the, the first week I had talked mostly about, and I preached out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says, in view of God's mercy, 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And I hope that I, I presented a compelling case, um, but nonetheless, I tried my best to present a case for how our whole lives are actually worship. You know, and sometimes in church, we think of like gathering is worship. And sometimes, you know, we have these positions where we're like, who's leading worship today? Or this is the worship pastor or worship director. In fact, I have a friend, his name is Tom. He's a pastor in, in the UK. And Tom, he won't call it worship. He's, he calls it sung worship. He's like, you know, now it's time for sung worship. And it's kind of like a good reminder that like our whole lives are worship. It's not just, you know, singing is just one way that we worship. But I was really inspired that it's not just a way. It's actually like really biblical to sing and how we sing is like, there's a lot in scripture that talks about um, how we sing. And so in week one, I talked about what is worship. It's an orientation of, of your heart. It's a, a lived ritual. It's a response to who God is and what he's done. And then uh, last week on the screen, I, I talked about, and maybe you know, some of you will remember, there, there's actually seven words in Hebrew. So if we look back at the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, there's seven different words that all get translated or often get translated praise. And each one has a little bit different connotation. And a lot of those connotations revolve around the idea of what we do with our bodies or how we demonstrate. It's like not just that we sing, but how we sing. And so I, I think I, I charge you with the idea that the reason that we call sung worship, worship, is because the Bible places a heavy emphasis. I would say the Bible commands us to sing as an act of worship. And not only does the Bible command us to sing, it commands us to sing, it teaches us to sing, instructs us to sing demonstratively, meaning with our bodies, like expressively. And uh, sometimes, and, and I don't know what kind of church culture you've grown up in, but sometimes we think that that like expressive singing is reserved for like a certain segment of the crowd, like the crazy people, you know, or the people who are super emotional. I've felt that way at times, but I was reminded that no, 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 no. The Bible instructs us to worship this way, like with our hands lifted high, with our, like the Bible says that, like on our knees at times, shouting. The Bible instructs us at times to shout to God with a voice of praise. The Bible even instructs us at times, I know, wait for it to dance, right? I mean, like God has called us in, like to be free and to be expressive in our response to God. And so part of what we're up to as a body is to worship the Lord this way. So anyways, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? Seven different words that get translated praise in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know. I, I could preach that sermon again. Hopefully you guys are moved. I, 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 and, and I find, I, I guess just the one thing I want to say about last week's sermon. You're like, dude, Noel, how long are you going to spend talking about last week's sermon? Um, the one thing is that I want to say, I was really moved by the fact that there's research that shows that what we do together binds us together. And when we sing together, it's not just for us, it's not just for God, it's for each other. What I mean by that is like your willingness to let go and be expressive with your body is good for me. It's good for the person next to you, the person across from you. 
And so many times, like I've been in situations where I, I don't know why we do this, but we feel self-conscious. Have you ever, just give me a little head shake if you've ever felt self-conscious in worship. Like, dang it, like I, maybe your heart is like really postured towards God. But you're like, man, I don't really want to raise my hand because what is this person going to think? And then you start saying stuff like, well, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to cause somebody else to stumble even. Have you ever said that? It's actually like the opposite. By letting go and being expressive, you're helping the people around you do the same thing. So anyways, enough about last week's sermon. But that's what I talked about last week uh, on the screen. Let me, let me get to today. And there's really three things that I want to say today. Um, this is not my most well-prepared message. Maybe you're noticing that I'm like away from my notes a lot more than usual. Um, but maybe even deliberately less prepared than usual. But I do want to, I want you to remember three things. I'm always, you know, it's like preaching's not like a performance per se. But I do want to do a good job because it helps to communicate clearly. Um, and I'm, I'm not positive I'm going to do a great job today. So... Uh, what I want you to do is remember three things today. I want to talk about the presence of God. Like part of what we're up to in corporate worship is inviting God to join us. And as I said from the outset, like we are his temple. As we gather together, we are the house of God. His presence indwells this place. So God's presence is the first thing that I want to talk about. The second thing that I want to talk about is what I call the prophetic I think the Bible calls this the prophetic, which is the idea that when God is with us, he speaks to us and he speaks through us. This starts to involve like a lot of faith, you know, because it starts to get miraculous. Like, wait a minute, God said that to you? You know, and you, it, a lot of faith issues come up like, well, how do I know that God said that to you? You know what I'm saying? And there can be a lot of skepticism. But you guys, the Bible is full of prophetic words, prophetic messages, prophetic songs. And the Bible is full of commands to prophesy and to steward that gift well. I was almost shocked once again as I prepared this week. It's like two weeks in a row I've been shocked at what I found in the Bible. And I think that we have it like, you guys, there's probably like a way in which the spirit has been quenched in the American church where we're scared of these things that we should not be scared of. The Apostle Paul said time and time again, twice in 1 Corinthians 14, that we should eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. I don't know if any of you, I'm scanning the room, were here, maybe Noah, when, when we were just in our house and Megan talked about how many prophecies came true through Christ's birth. They say that you could like, what is it? You could, you could cover the state of Texas with like a, a half dollar, right? How many times over? With all the prophecies that came true in the birth of Christ. So the idea here, and I don't have, yeah, I should have had my facts straight, I suppose. That, that notes thing would have been helpful, I suppose. But the idea is that like God's presence is available to us. God's voice speaks to us. And then the third thing that I want to say is that when God comes with his presence, when he speaks, when we receive, he releases power. Power to heal. Power to do all kinds of supernatural things. Power to restore things that are broken in our lives. And so today, I want to take a look at the Christmas story once again. And I want to point to some ways that I see God showing up with his presence. 
some ways I feel encouraged to pursue the gift of prophecy together and some ways that we can contend for the power of God to be at work among us. Are you guys, are you down for that this morning? All right. So the Christmas story, I think it points us um, in a couple different ways. And so as I've already said, I think the first thing as I've been reading is I've noticed that the Christmas story points us to his presence. Well, what do I mean by the Christmas story showing me something about the presence of God? Well, here's what I mean. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And it puts it in parentheses for it for us. I love that. You don't even have to translate. Which means God with us. The Christian religion is about a God who didn't stay far away, but about a God who came near. Like God comes close. God's presence is with us. This is how he's inaugurated his church. Now, I found out something really helpful uh, this week about another name for God. What's the Old Testament name for God that we use? It's a Hebrew word. Yahweh. Yahweh. Did you know that one, you know, Yahweh means the God who saves, but it also has the connotation or the second meaning of God will be with you. So Emmanuel means God is with you. Yahweh meant God will be with you. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the people of God were worshiping a God who someday would be with them. The presence of God. Like God is with us. God wants to be with us. The story of Christmas is about a God who wanted to be with you. A God who wanted to inhabit us, who wanted to dwell among us. In Luke chapter 1, I, and I don't know, again, I'll say this again, but you know, I grew up reading the Christmas story. On, like in my house, anyone have this rule? No gifts until the Christmas story was read, right? Forget all, you know, yeah, no gifts. That, that was my house growing up, and we, we always started with Luke chapter 2. You know, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, right? And so, you know, as a result, I don't really know the first part of the story all that well. But this season, I've been reading Luke chapter 1 over and over and over again. It's a story about how John the Baptist was born, and his parents were named Elizabeth and Zechariah. So um, let me just kind of go through it again. again. Zechariah, the guy we read about just a, a few mo- moments ago, um, he was a priest and he was working in the temple. He gets to light the incense. I think that was a pretty special thing that he got to do. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and tells him that, hey, your wife's going to be pregnant uh, with a really important baby, you know, and it's like, whoa, first thing, dang, here's God's presence again, sending an angel. What's he doing? Speaking. Anybody ever had an angel come to them? If you raise your hand, I suppose we're going to have a long conversation. That'd be really awesome, right? We should talk about that. That's really miraculous. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's miraculous things already happening in the Christmas story. Like, I don't even know if Mary's pregnant yet, and a miracle has happened. An angel's on the scene. And then Zechariah is like, you know, he and his wife have been waiting for a child, but she's too old. Kind of like Abraham and Sarah. It's like, uh, they're too old to have uh, a child. But the angel says that they're going to have a child, and he's like, wait a minute, this can't happen. So the angel's like, well, because of your unbelief, I'm going to make you mute. And you're not going to talk until this thing has actually happened. 
Any wives ever wanted to do that to your husband? <laughs> so the, again, this is just crazy. Like God is moving in power. Like really miraculous things are already happening. Like on every page of the Bible. I'm like, I just was moved by that. And I, I keep getting moved by these miraculous things that are happening. So anyways, um, I highlighted this story last week where uh, Elizabeth knows that she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And uh, it, there's a scene in the story where Mary comes. Jesus' mother Mary comes to stay with Elizabeth, right? And Zechariah. And when the two babies get together, the baby in Elizabeth's womb notices that he's in the presence of the Messiah. And it says that he leaps in her womb, dancing, good response to Jesus, leaping, demonstrative worship, a physical expression, also quite miraculous. A baby leaping in the womb just because it came in contact with another baby in, the, in a womb. So anyway, this happens, and, and it, it, we saw that uh, Elizabeth is like super happy for Mary. This is amazing. Mary sings that song called the Magnificat. Well, then, you know, a couple, couple uh, lines later in the story, we, we come to the spot that we just read today. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, right? And this is the story that we just read, where the baby is born, and they ask Elizabeth, what's the name going to be? She says, John. They're like, you can't name your baby John. I don't know if anyone's ever, has anyone had that experience? You're going to name your baby Gunner? We had that experience, you know. <laughs> Parents, my advice, wait till the baby's born to give it a name. Don't tell anybody till the baby's born. That's my advice. Anyways, that's not biblical necessarily. But, uh, so they're like, you can't name the baby John. There's no, there's no one in the family named John. You can't do that. And so then what do they do? They ask the father. Well, the father can't speak, so he writes on an, a whiteboard. No, they didn't have whiteboards. They had, I don't know, a tablet. He writes on a tablet is what it says in Scripture. And what does he say? The baby's name shall be John. And then what happens to Zechariah? Another miracle. He gets his voice back. Like God moves in power all throughout Scripture. And I just, I felt like so convicted because I'm like, why do I quench the Spirit of God? Why am I afraid that God would do something miraculous? Why do I have trouble believing that he can move in power? And I'm crying right now. And, and when I'm, I just feel so like, I just feel so covered by the Spirit of God. I just, I feel like emotive this morning. But I'm just recognizing that there's things in Scripture that I've ignored. And I think that there's a way that God wants to move that maybe we've ignored. I think God wants to bring his presence. First and foremost, we're a people of his presence. You're the temple of God. So that's cool. Uh, Zechariah gets to talk again. It's really cool that he got to talk again. That would have been a sad story if it ended that way. The first thing he does is not complain about why he couldn't talk. It says in the story that the first thing he does is he begins to praise God for what God has done in his life. His wife was barren, supposedly too old to have kids. Not only are they having a child now, but this child will be used of God to prepare the way for the Messiah. This is incredible news. Zechariah knows it, and he starts by praising God. And then Zechariah does what we all do, right? When we get excited, he starts to sing a song. Jake's probably the only one that does that. Jake and Andy, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of joking, but because I don't think that's the first thing I would necessarily do. 
if I got really excited, but that's what Zechariah did, and we see his song. I'm going to read his song right now. But, but what I want you to hear is this, verse 67, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. It says that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Zechariah's response to God coming near to him was to speak in prophecy. Again, like we're scared of prophecy. We're worried about the danger that could come with the prophetic. But as I read this story, I'm like, my goodness, God has been moving miraculously for generations. And I don't want to quench the spirit of God. So this is what Zechariah prophesied. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. God's presence has come near. Zechariah saw it. He witnessed it. He experienced it. He says, praise to be to God, for his presence has come near. Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what we're celebrating. God has come close, you guys. He's made a way for us to experience his closeness through Jesus. He's come close to his people and he's redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Anybody want to serve the Lord without fear? In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. There's that word again. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So God has come close. Zechariah's experienced a, a manifestation of the presence of God. And he bounds out into a prophetic song. It's pretty cool. So I wanted to talk a little bit like, Noel, what do you mean by the presence of God? And I think that one of the, I think that there's, a, there's oftentimes a misunderstanding about what we're talking about when we're talking about the presence of God. And here's what I mean. Like, where is God? Come on, kid, where's the kids? Where is God? Well, he's kind of everywhere. Isn't God everywhere? And God does have this nature. We call that omnipresence, right? So there's the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at all times. Because he's God, he's able to be all places at all times. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is what theologians call the manifest presence of God. This is like times where God comes to a specific time and to a specific location, to a specific person. We call it the manifest presence of God. That's what I'm talking about when I say when we gather the Bible says where two or three are, are gathered in my name, I am there with them. His manifest presence comes close and indwells us in specific times and in specific places. 
Uh, in scripture, there's a, there's a bunch of examples of this, but you'll remember the story of Moses and the burning bush. This is an example of God's manifest presence. God was omnipresent, but he made him, his presence manifest in that situation, speaking to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, again, Moses out at Mount Sinai, uh, the presence of God was strong in the temple, right? This is why they had all their rituals, why, they would, why it was so important to get to the temple. Uh, maybe you know the story about any wrestlers in the room. Remember the guy Jacob who wrestled with God, like God's manifest presence came. To, you get what I'm saying? So God is present all times, all places, but he also makes his presence manifest for specific reasons at specific times in specific places. So Christmas is about God coming to be with us. That's why I love the song that we sang this morning. And I didn't even have to ask Andy to play it. Somehow he just knew prophetically, I suppose. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Like, isn't this the cry of our hearts? Oh, come, oh, come. Like, come, God. Come and be with us. The God who's with us, I need that God. Come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Do you know what else Yahweh means? Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. The God who saves. Oh, come, oh, come. The God who is with us. We need you to save us. Anybody need a Savior? I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that there's a lot of needs in this room right now, right? Some of us are, are dealing with health issues that we're just like, God, you have to come. If you don't show up, I don't know what I'll do. Some of you are dealing with financial situations. You're like, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what I'll do. Some of you are dealing with infertility or maybe it's rec uh, relational reconciliation that's needed. And I would just pray, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, the God who saves, we need you to come. In John chapter 1, uh, verse 14, you'll recognize this probably. Many of you will, I guess. It seemed quite famous to me. In John chapter 1, uh, verse 14, I think we see a picture of God's manifest presence like on earth, in the world. Let me read it. It says in John 1, 14, you could read the whole section it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, Jesus, became flesh. God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This is the glory that Zechariah saw, which caused him to sing out in a new song, a prophetic song. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So this is God's manifest presence in the world, on earth. But God's presence is also available to us by his spirit. John 14 and 16, we read this story where when Jesus left, he said, don't worry. It's actually going to be better for you that I'm going away. Why? Because I'm leaving you the gift of my spirit. It's actually going to be better for you. Now, I mean, we've studied the Gospel of Matthew, and I don't know about you, but so often I've just thought, my gosh, Jesus was amazing. And like, my gosh, if I could just do what Jesus did, you know? Because he just did it, like, he brought reconciliation, he brought a picture of the kingdom, 
everywhere that he went, touching people's lives, healing the stick, restoring, healing the sick, not the stick, restoring relationships. Now, have you ever thought that the same power that was working in Jesus is available to you? That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the power of the presence of God. God's spirit resides in you, people. Church, God's spirit is here with us in a tangible way. And maybe you're like, man, I don't even feel it. I don't feel God's, God's spirit. The problem is not his distance. The problem, the problem is our awareness. We come in here every Sunday morning really with, with, a, with a job to do. The job is to be aware of the reality that's here. God is here, dwelt among us. There's nothing truer that I could say this morning. God is here. We're his temple. He's indwelt us as his people. And the Holy Spirit's presence is in the world because Jesus left the advocate behind. Which brings me to the third thing that I want to say about God's manifest presence, which is that his presence is not just in us as believers, it is in the church. And I've already ruined the punchline this morning. 1 Peter 2 says this, verses 4 and 5. He says that you, you Christians, are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. That's the New Living Translation. What's more, you are his holy priests. Do you think about yourself that way? This is the, the doctrinal concept of the priesthood of all believers. You are his temple. We are his temple. And you are the priests. I'm not the only priest in this place. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you are holy. A royal priesthood, he goes on to say. So God's indwelling presence is not just in the believer, it's in the church. God's presence is here. What we do on Sunday mornings, you guys, it matters. This is why showing up on Sunday mornings, while it will not earn you a position with God, it will fill your tank full of God. If you want more of God's presence in your life, this is the first place to be. And if Exeter Valley Church ain't the place for you, like, no problem, find a church that is the place for you. The local church. Like, this is why we started a church, because God's presence dwells among his people. The church matters, you guys. You come here, we come here to receive the presence of God. So God's presence is in the world. It's in us as believers and God's presence is in his church. So the next P that I wanted to talk about, and thank you for, for bearing with me, I, I realize that I'm, I'm quite insufferable when it comes to the alliteration. I just cannot help myself. I was also noticing that I pick P's often. <laughs> and, and I guess I, you could probably guess maybe why I'm prone to the letter P. Anyways, if God is with us and God speaks to us, just like he did to Zechariah and to Mary and to Elizabeth, to the prophets and to the apostles of old, then he still speaks to us today. And it's my firm belief, and I will talk more about this next month. Come back. But it's my firm belief that there is no scriptural evidence that God has stopped speaking to his people. Amen? So God is here, and he, he wants to talk to you. 
He's willing to talk to you. He probably is talking to you. And maybe the question is, are we listening? Am I listening? Again, like maybe one of our biggest jobs every Sunday morning is to just open our ears and open our heart for what God's wanting to say to us. What's that? There's a line in a song like, uh, God, make me more aware of your presence. I need to be made more aware of the, of the realities that surround me. So we believe that God speaks. This is a core tenet, a core distinctive, not of the Christian faith. I think this is Christian 101, the idea that God still speaks and that he speaks to his people. But as a church, we want to be a church who's pressing into hearing the voice of God. We call this idea revelation, the idea that God reveals his will to us. And there's two primary ways that he does this. And this is why we call ourselves a word and spirit church. You could guess what's the number one way. The primary way that God has revealed his will to us as his people is through scripture. God's word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, however you want to say it. First and foremost, we're a people of the word because God has given us his word. We call that general revelation. But we also believe if, if God continues to speak, then we also have this idea that there's something called special revelation, meaning that God is continuing to speak to us. And I don't know what your experience with this type of prophetic ministry is, but I, I could tell you right now, Exeter Valley Church would not exist if it were not for this type of special revelation. I would not have left what I was doing, coaching, to be a pastor, if not for God's voice speaking into my life, right? And some of the vision that we have as a church, like the water tower picture, God pouring his presence out, it's driven by this idea, this special revelation that God has, yes, he said things generally in the book, beautiful things about himself and things that will last for all time. But he's also spoken to us specifically. Like we have a specific call because of what God has said to us by his spirit. And so God's spoken in a general way. He's revealed himself in a general way, but he's also uh, revealed himself in a very specific way to us. The ability to hear God and then to share God is what we call a gift of prophecy. Now, uh, most of the time I have found that when people think of prophecy, they think of a prediction that either didn't happen or did happen. That'd be like, uh, you know, looking into the crystal ball, so to speak, right? That, that'd be like evil prophecy. But, but most prophecy in scripture is not a prediction about the future. Most prophecy in scripture is actually a word of encouragement or a word of instruction. So if when you hear prophecy, all you can think about is a future prediction, I'd like to reorient you a little bit. Prophecy in scripture is, is an encouragement or instruction. Encouragement or instruction. Do you, can you think that maybe God would want to encourage you or instruct you by his spirit? He called, Jesus called his spirit what? The advocate. The one who comes along and helps. His spirit guides us into all truth is what God's word says. So this is what pr the prophetic is. It's when God speaks in a special way to us, to encourage us or to instruct us. And I believe and I'm contending for the gift of prophecy to grow in our church. Why am I contending for that? The reason I'm contending for that is because I believe the Bible clearly demonstrates the power of the prophetic. I am not just contending for the prophetic because God spoke to me one time and it really made me feel good. 
or it really gave me direction. I'm contending for the prophetic because I see the prophetic all across the pages of the New Testament. The Christmas story is just the start of it. Paul wrote to the, uh, the church in Corinth, chapter 14. These are his first words in chapter 14. Now, many of you know chapter 13, right? That's the love chapter. You guys probably like read that at your weddings. Anyways, chapter 14, the first thing that Paul says is follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He goes on to talk about the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, sorry. He talks about order in worship because that's really important to God. But then the last thing that Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. How many of you have felt eager to prophesy? Even me, as one who preaches God's word, who I think often speaks prophetically, can feel scared to prophesy. Can we just admit that sometimes it's scary to open your mouth in faith? But what does Paul say? Be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Another sermon. Don't get hung up on that. We'll get there. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And see, this is the reason that a lot of us have these false ideas about the gift of, the, of prophecy. Because it's been done potentially, or you've seen it done in ways that didn't feel orderly, that didn't feel fitting, and maybe felt scary. And so what have we done? We, we kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. Well, I can't understand that. I don't know what to do with that. That didn't feel right. So we just throw it all out. But what does Paul say? Eagerly desire. So are we a Bible-believing church? Who says no to that on a Sunday morning? Yeah, for sure. And so we're going to be a church that eagerly desires this gift. The last thing I wanted to say is that I believe that when God's presence comes and he's moving through the prophetic, I believe that his power is also for us today. Now, this is one where I think we get a resounding, like, hand in the air, yes, Lord. Like, who does not want to see healing? I've not ever met a Christian who did not want to see healing. Now, we, not, we may not understand how it comes. We, we may be, like, unsure of why we don't see it more often. But I don't think I've ever met a Christian who didn't want to see God move in power. To move the unmovable. And I believe that when God's presence is with us, through the prophetic, I think that the power of God is also for us today. I want to contend with you as a church to see the power of God on full display. Look, we're going to be a church that prays for healing. We're going to be a church that contends over and over and over again, even when we find disappointment because we don't understand God's response or why he's not responding the way that we think he should. We're going to be a church that pursues the power of God. Why? Because we see examples of, in Scripture, and the Christmas story is just one example of how the power of God can move. Andy and Beth, would you guys come? I, one thing that we, um, we believe that because you're all priests, those of you who are in Jesus, and because God's presence is with us, and because God speaks, and because God has called us to continue or to pursue 
the gift of prophecy, we believe that we're all participants here. And I would say that this is an area for growth where we could grow as a church. And as your leader, I, I want to be even better at, at encouraging you to participate and making opportunities for you to participate. So what I want to do this morning, I want to practice. I like this idea of practice, like practicing the presence of God. Have you ever heard that phrase? Like, because it takes practice to kind of like experience God's presence in a way that's like uh, authentic and real and powerful. Like, I got to get out of the way. I got to get myself aware of God. You get what I'm saying? Like, it, it takes practice. Can we all agree that it, like, you don't just like happen your way to being a disciple of Jesus? It takes practice. So I want to practice his presence. What I mean is I want to, as we're singing, I want you to listen to God. I want you to pay attention to his closeness. Pay attention to what he might be saying. I think that God is speaking. I, I, in fact, I have faith in my heart that God is speaking to you. Now, he may be speaking something to you that is just for you. But he may also be speaking something to you that would encourage and instruct the body. And this is the type of prophecy that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. And I want to practice this a little bit. So we're going to sing a song. And this isn't a one-off for us, you guys. Like, this isn't the only time we're going to do this. But maybe this is a bit of a milestone, a mile marker, where I've kind of explained. Like, Noel, sometimes you stand up there and you say something. Like, it's not really your sermon. It's like in between songs. I don't know how that fits. And I don't know that I've ever really explained what it is that's happening. But God's put something on my heart that I believe aligns with his will. And we, we weigh that through scripture. We test it against scripture. And if it fits, and it fits our morning, we're gonna share it. And so what I wanna do as we sing, I want you to push into the presence of God this morning. Be aware of his closeness, listen to his voice. And if you feel like God would be saying something, that would be good to share. And I just wanna encourage you, if you're sensing something, if you came in with something this morning, Knowing that I was going to preach on this, there's a good chance it is for you to share. And if you're not sure, come right up here, share with me first, and we can decide together if that's something that would edify the rest of the body. So this will be our, our regular practice. Anytime you're in worship here and you just, God has put something on your heart. He's manifested his presence to you in such a way that what is on your heart would be good and edifying, instructional for the body. You're going to come, you can come right here to me, present that to me, and we'll see if it fits with what God's doing in our worship service together. But we want to be a people who eagerly desire these gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So as we, let's all stand here and sing. And as we do this, it might be a little bit hard or awkward at first. You know, it's like, um, like we try to have family meetings at our house that we try to have family time. Yeah, how many of you know that that never goes exactly the way that we planned it, right? It's a little bit awkward. It never works exactly right. But do we quit doing it? No. We try to get a little bit better at it. We keep pressing into it, even when it's weird and it's awkward. You know what I'm saying? So just this morning, I just want to invite you into that. If that's like a little bit uncomfortable, you're not sure what to think. Focus on the presence of God, what he might be saying to you, what he might be, what he might be wanting to say over us as a community of his followers. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll respond in singing. This first song in particular um, is just a song where there's space for you to, uh, to come forward and present to me what you feel like the Lord is wanting to share. And then um, I could give you the mic if I feel like it's fitting, okay? 
After this first song, we'll take some time and I'll invite us to the table for communion and we'll end as we usually do. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we just say, like, God, we, I mean, man, we get confused. Like, we don't really even get it all. We, in fact, if we're honest, like, we hardly ever get it all, Lord. But as we read the pages of your book, we're like, man, God, you showed up. You came close and you've moved in miraculous ways and you're constantly speaking to your people. And we want you to speak to us, Lord. That's why we're here. We're here for your presence, Lord. We're here for you. We want to be instructed by your voice, Lord. And I just pray right now, Father, as, as a leader, Lord, I just want to pray that you would help us to hear your voice, Lord. We need your encouragement, your edification, your building up, Lord. And would you give us courage, even as we're kind of afraid, to come forward and just to like give it a go and be willing to take risk, Lord, to hear and to speak your words to one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Noel again. Just wanted to say thanks so much for joining us here at the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. And don't be afraid to join us in person on a Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. at the Exeter Memorial Building.